Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Anyways, we're in Romans chapter 1. We are making... Yeah, we're still there. And... um, the people who've had me in class before know how this thing works. The rest of you are still catching on. Um, but uh, we're in Romans chapter 1, and uh, we've been working our way down through this whole section here. The first section where Paul's really talking about the condemnation of the, what many may call the pagan or the, the um, primitive, the person who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't have any access to the scriptures and that. And he says, basically... All men, wherever you are, you are responsible, if nothing, for this, the general revelation you see. And we talked about that last week. Anybody with a functioning brain can look outside and see that there is a creator. You have to go to college or university to learn that there isn't one. There you go. All right. Um, when you look outside and you just see the complexities and the wonder of the, of the universe, and uh, being a physicist, or at least I had, my undergraduate degree is in physics, it's amazing just how balanced this universe is. Someone said if the charge on the electron was one billionth different than what it was, the universe wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Now explain that to me. Really? If, if, the, if the mass of the electron was just a little bit different than it was, matter couldn't exist. I mean, they're talking like, six, seven, eight decimal places mm-hmm. of accuracy. Mm-hmm. You look at the human body, we, we didn't even talk about that. We talked about the stellar wonders last week, but even the human body, you look at the, the physical body that you have, how the heart, how the heart works. Explain to me how that just accidentally came into existence. Your brain. That's right. Think of that. The heart and the brain are both regenerative. Mm-hmm. Think, you know, and by the way, you, you realize that as you, you're going to have about a million less neurons when you walk out of this room than you did when you walked in. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still here, aren't you? Yep. God has created a wonderful... Some yeah, some, some people lose more than others, I guess. But <laughs> the whole point there is uh, there's wonders out there. And... What Paul is saying is you can look out and you can see God's eternal power and his Godhead, his, his being out there by looking just up in the night sky and seeing the wonders of what he has made. And what happens is in verse 21, he says, men knew God. For although men knew God, what did they not do? Glorify him as God. So... The idea there is that they knew God existed, but they didn't give him credit for what he's done. What does it mean to glorify God? Praise him. Praise him. Give him credit. Ex- honor him. Honor him. Uh, display who he is. Exhibit his character. I think it's interesting that I've heard that before, but since we went over that part of the scriptures, and how you know, people, some people try to say that they never heard or never, were never aware of anything that's happening. Just look around you. Everyone. And there's evidence of my power and my, my glory all around you. You pay attention. Right. Yeah. By the way, did you know that there are plants that have larger genomes than humans? 
You know what a genome is, right? That's the DNA encoding that make you what you are. No, that's not, that's the gnome. <laughs> There's always somebody in the class, you know. Um, it's amazing what God has encoded into the genetic coding of the human DNA structure. There are plants with more DNA than humans. We got the right stuff, you know. God has packaged it just, just right. And I don't know what plant it is, but there's one that has one that's a lot larger than the human genome. All right, a plant, okay? So, the, you know, this notion that we came from, you know, unicellular and worked our way up, became multicellular, and, you know, millions of years later, you know, Cro-Magnon man shows up, that's just ridiculous. Anybody with any sense knows that that can't be true. But see, if you, if you get rid of God, what are you left with? You've got, you got to come up with something. So what do you happen? You become futile in your thinking. What does it mean, futile in your thinking? You get the wrong answers. You, you don't know how. Now, it's not that these people are stupid, no. right? It's just that they come all, with all the wrong answers. They, they don't understand truth. They can look at the universe and say, isn't it wonderful how it all just happened by accident? And it's like, where did you get that? Yeah. Well, it's a theory. It's a theory. Because even if, if one believed that it started with one cell multiplying, one with brain should ask one cell, where did that one cell come from? Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, they, they're looking at the complexities of even the most simple cells are complex beyond our comprehension. Just a one-celled animal or one-celled germ or microbe, the complexity is beyond the ability of most scientists to understand. And what happens with their foolish art was dark and they, with their thinking um, becoming futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. See, if you sit around and say something long enough, it becomes truth. It becomes darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became what? Foolish. Look at any university college campus in the biology department, and there's a bunch of foolish people there. They claim to be wise. They have letters behind their name. They can do math that you and I can't do, but at the end of the day, they are fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's a fool. And what do they do? They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. Man became idolatrous. Now, if you go to any college today or any university and you look at religion, we're told in the religion classes, or people are told in the religion classes, men started out as polytheistic, polydemonistic, and they worked their way up, and finally they became monotheistic. Monotheism is the end product of this. And what they do is they apply to religion the same kind of junk that they apply to biology. Out of chaos comes order. All right? Let me explain something to you. Out of chaos, you get more chaos. You don't get order. I don't put a room full of car parts in there, shake it up really good, and come in and find a DeLorean there all put together for me to drive out. Doesn't work that way. Things tend to disorder. 
And the tendency to disorder is astronomically pro probabilistic, which means the probability of things going from disorder to order are so infinite as to be impossible. It's just impossible. You do it impossible. But what happens? You change the glory of God into images and creeping things and animals and all kinds of stuff. And it says, because of this, because of what men did, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity. God gave them up. Because here's the thing. When God created man, God created man as a moral being with moral structures. And when you get rid of God, you get rid of the moral lawgiver, what happens? Well, you get to be your own lawgiver, right? You get to do that on your own. You get to make your own rules. Yeah. When you fly a plane, you got to make sure you got your compass set right, or you can wind up on the other side of the country and not know it. Especially if you're flying in the clouds and you don't see the ground. If you don't get that compass right, you're, you're done for. And what men have done is they've taken out the hammer, so to speak, and they've smashed the moral compass. And what did they do? God gave them up. Now, the word give, that God gave them, that's a very interesting word. It's called para, it's paradidomy. It means to give over, to give something over to something. Um, in classical Greek, it was used for instance when a prisoner was given over to the executioner for execution when a prisoner was given over to the jailer to be put into prison it's it's a it's to be given over to the bondage of something so what is god saying here what is paul saying that god does god gives them over to what their passions in this case they're given over to their own desires they're given over to them, all right? In other words, their desires, their impurity, the lust of their heart and their impurity is a jailer to them. They're imprisoned by that. How do you kill a drug addict? You give them all the drugs they want. And what will happen? They'll kill themselves. Give a drunk all the alcohol he wants, what will he do? Kill himself. When, you, when God get this is a, and by the way, here's something to understand. This is a judicial giving over. God judicially gives them over to this. God basically says, if you don't want me and you don't want to have anything to do with me, the natural cause of that is you're going to be given over to your lusts. God gave them over to these lusts. So God, you know, said stopped you know, talking to them or working mm -hmm. with them and said, okay, just do your own thing. Yeah. Yep. And the lust of the impurity of their hearts to the what? Dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. <coughs> dishonor, there's an interesting word. It means to dishonor, to treat with disdain. If men are given over to the lust of their heart, what do they wind up doing? More sin. More sin. And it really expresses itself in the sexual area, doesn't it? Look at all the ancient 
religions, almost all of them are fertility cults. What made the, the, the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth so popular in ancient Israel? It was the immorality. Temple prostitution in Paul's day. You go down to the, the temple in Ephesus there. Diana, goddess of the Ephesians. And part of your worship was to engage in immoral acts with anybody you wanted. Spiritualized orgies. It is. It's if you, when you're given over to this impurity, and see, here's the thing. When you remove God from the equation, what restraint do you have? There isn't one. That's the problem. There isn't one. What does God do in a moral universe? He is the restrainer. Because there's an understanding that someday I'm going to stand before my creator and give an account. Well, if I can get rid of the creator, so go for it. It's interesting that things like that, you think about what goes on now on television and the movies and things, so that's so changed. Anything is, is okay. But yet, that went on way back in Jesus' time in the Bible. That's been going on for years. You've got to understand, we need to understand something. Nothing changes. Nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. It was just as bad in ancient times as it is today. Today, we have just a little more technology to pull it off. But back then, it was the same. Um, I was watching a special on... Um, I forget what it was on TV about some of the excavations they've done in Canaan of some of these ancient temple. And they said they're so bad that they don't, they don't give tours of this stuff. It's so pornographic, you, you can't get a tour. Not, that's off the normal tourist stop. They can't even take you in there. Some of the stuff they've dug up is just, it, it looks like what you see in Hollywood. It's just, off the charts. And this was, no, there's nothing new. God gives them over to this. And you see this like in our society. And there used to be a day mm -hmm. when many of us were younger in which there was a residual morality. Yes. Go back to the early 60s and look at television in the early 60s. Yep. Leave it to Beaver. I know. They didn't show the inside of a bathroom. And when you saw the bedroom, there was two twin beds in it. Now compare that to today. You had blue laws. You didn't go, you know, Sunday, you didn't go out to eat on Sunday. You didn't go to the grocery store on Sunday. Stores were closed. Now, there are no restraints. Stop and think about it. Go back and get your great-grandma and bring her to the 20 first century here and have her watch one of the sitcoms on TV. Wow. She'll cough her skull up. Mm -hmm. She can't believe you can see that on television. It's not just the shows. I'm depressed about the commercials. Oh, the commercials are worse. Yeah. The commercials were, right now, one of the things I'm watching, you know, I like watching cartoons and that. And even in the middle of the cartoon, they have a commercial for some medication take um, to prevent AIDS. You're watching, I'm watching Bugs Bunny and I'm getting, I'm getting, you know, commercials on stuff to prevent AIDS and they show two guys kissing in this commercial. And it's like, what? Because it's acceptable. 
Keep all who you love and just take the medication, you'll be fine. What's God say? He gives them over to the dishonoring of their bodies. You realize that when you commit immorality, you sin against your own body. That's what Paul says. It's a sin against the body that God has given you. It's a sin against God. Because what does it do? It destroys the culture around you. It destroys your society. What is the building block of society? Family. We're told today you don't need a man to have a family. Just go out and you know, have a couple of kids and you're fine. In fact, you can have two men and they can adopt a baby or two women can adopt and have a family. And all those are off. And if you say anything against that, you're a bigoted oh, yeah. Neanderthal. What does God say? They dishonor their own bodies because they exchange the truth about God for what? A lie. What's the lie? What was the big lie in the garden? What, what is it that, the, that Satan conned Eve into doing? And why, why and hath God said, he questioned, she questioned God, but what did he really want Eve to, under, to do? To exalt her will over God. God's holding you back. God's holding out on you. You should have, you should have culinary freedom to eat what you want. Dietary freedom. Dietary equality. You should be able to eat anything you want. Why did God tell you not to eat that plum? It's a plum, by the way. It's not an apple. It's a plum. All right. Why, did, why, why, why would God do that? He's, he's holding back on you. He must not like you. She bought into that. He did. And by the way, the idiot husband is the reason we're in sin. Just so you know, guys, it's not the woman, it's us. She was deceived, but we knew full well what we were doing. We knew full well. Mm-hmm. They, they got given approval. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not by God. No. Nope. And what do they do? They change the truth of God for a lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator is blessed forever. The word creature there, ketesis, this could be also translated creation. And you say, well, people don't worship creation. Now, yeah, they did. I got a physicist on TV telling me I should write odes to the stars for they're our mothers. They created the elements that we are, our bodies are made from. The stars are our mother. That's the creation, folks. You know, it's interesting. I think Jim or somebody pointed this out a few weeks ago about the fall, about how the woman was tempted. But something I never paid any attention to, Adam was there with her. Yeah, Adam was there with her when she was, he was tested. He wasn't off somewhere else. No, he wasn't out walking around the garden. He was with Eve. And by the way, when did their when were their eyes opened? No, when were they opened? Huh? After they ate the fruit. Who ate? He ate. 
he ate. After he ate. Eve took the fruit and ate, and nothing happened. Adam took the fruit and ate, and the eyes of both of them were open. So whose fault is it? Eve's. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's us. It's us. All right, it's our fault. Well, we have to, we have to yeah. the field. <laughs> By the way, as an aside, and I don't want to get on this rabbit trail because I'm told I'm not supposed to be on rabbit trails. But what was the curse? What was the curse on the man? Have to toil and work hard. The ground wouldn't give him his his best. What was the curse on the woman? What, what, do you, what kind of pain do you think? Horrible pain. <laughs> I would argue that that pain there has nothing to do with the physical pain of childbirth. Yeah, I heard yeah. you say that before. I don't think it is. What do you think it is? What did Eve watch her kids do? Kill each other. Kill each other. Let me tell you something about I'm not a woman, but I've been around a few of them in my lifetime. And the way to really hurt a woman is to go after what? Her kids. Mama Bear will come out and will we'll just tear you apart, man. Mama Bear is really nice, but until you go after her cubs, boy, she'll come after you. you got to run for the hills. Eve watched her children go down the path of sin, and later on she watched Cain kill his brother, and then Cain was chased out. She never saw him again. What kind of pain is that, do you think, to a woman? See, here's the thing. If you want to hurt a guy, where do you hit him? You hit him in his vocation. The way you hurt a woman is you hit her family. That's just the way God's wired us. Get 100 guys in the room, they talk about their vocation. Get 100 women in the room, they talk about their family. That's just the way it is. I don't see guys pulling out their wallets and showing their grandkids to everybody, but women do that all the time, I hear. That's just the way God's wired us. You know, I wonder, uh, Ellen, if, if uh, you didn't have retroactive thoughts regarding singing when that was occurring mm -hmm. kids. In pain, you will have children. The hardest thing for women is to see their kids go bad. Yeah. Especially the boys. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the boys are good athletes or do something, and you see a lot of men that are, you know, living their lives over again yeah. through those experiences. The, the bond between a child and their mother is strong. Very strong, you know. But getting back to our text here, they, what did they do? They worship the creation. They didn't worship the creator. They worshiped the creation. And today you go to universities to learn how to worship the creation. We came out of a big bang and the stars and they exploded and they created elements and the earth formed four and a half billion years ago. Everybody knows that. And somewhere along the line a pool of water decided to have some little bits of organic matter that just came together and created a cell and 
you know, that cell decided it was lonely. It made another one, and a few million years later, out, out comes a fish, and then a whatever, and here we are. You worship the creation, not the creator. And what is this? This is God giving them over to this. People refuse to believe. And that goes back to this thing. Men, they suppress the truth. They hold it down. It's not that they don't know it. They just don't want to think about it. Because why? If you can get rid of God, you can get rid of the lawgiver, then what can you do? Whatever you please. And it's okay. It's okay. You want to sleep with anybody you want? Have at it. Nobody cares. God. Um, just for the sake of thinking, and, and you will recall this discussion before in, in the class that is years, a few years ago. Anyways, Adam's curse and Eve's curse. So, in order to really appreciate the difference in what this curse meant, let's start with Adam meant to Adam, he had to previously know the joy of just working in the garden, but not thorns and thistles and weeds. He just had to know, he had to now see, oh my goodness, this stuff that's getting in the way and it's so the sweat of the brow, whereas before it was an occupation, yes, yeah. but it was just pleasure. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you will recall that I said that I see Eve needing to also compare the current with what used to be before I screwed up or we screwed mm -hmm. up. Um, so I said that she would have had to know what it was like to have children without pain. And I posited the idea that because daughters weren't name just sons mm -hmm. that she may have had daughters sure. thus have had the joy of just having the children but without the pain furthermore it said pain and childbirth it didn't say pain and child rearing mm -hmm. well i just yeah i think yeah. i think when you see we're creatures of physical we're physical beings and we think of pain and agony we always think of physical when you think of the horror of the cross, you think, well, look what Christ did, you know, the pain, the agony. That was not really the, I mean, that was there, it's real, let's not, let's not ignore it. But what was the real agony of the cross to Christ? The physical pain? I doubt it. He bore our sin. All right. And um, I, I, that's, that's, I don't know that, okay? But I do think that, that a major part of the curse to Eve the curse hit men and women where it, in their sphere of, in their sphere of life. What is the sphere of life for a man? What's a man do? He works. He earns a living. He, what's a woman do? What's her sphere of being? It's not to go out in the workplace. It's to family, kids. That, that's where God, that's where this curse hit them. In the, in the place that would hurt them the most, basically. In their sphere of, of existence. Okay. I wouldn't have a problem accepting both. Not it's a both and. It's not neither or. It's a both and. Now, was there physical pain that brought came into the? Uh, absolutely, we're not going to deny that. 
you know. Was there physical pain for Jesus? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But that's not that's that's but usually what we key in on, yeah. and we don't key in on. Now, wait a minute, what what freaked him out in the garden? The physical pain that he was going to face? No. Here he's the sinless, spotless Son of God, and he's going to take upon himself the sin of the world. We can't comprehend that. Our brain stops. We can't think. What? And here's Christ, who from eternity past has had a relationship with the Father, and for that time on the cross, his Father was going to turn his back on him. We cannot grasp that. He made him to be sin. We can't grasp that. We, our brains will stop and we'll just spin in place. But what did God do here? God gave them over to the passions. That's step one. In a society, what is the first step? When you get rid of God, you lose moral constraints. And what's the first morality that goes? It's the family. Normal sexual relations become distorted. But that's not the end of the road. What comes next? Because they start worshiping the creation, what does God do? God gives them over again to dishonorable passions. It's not just they're given over to their passions. Now they're given over to dishonorable passions. All right? Is it wrong to have passion? No. But when you're given over to that and you remove God, that becomes distorted. But now you've got dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. You don't need to be a Phi Beta Kappa in biblical hermeneutics to understand what Paul is saying. What's the next step down? LGBTQ. Yeah, you just get more letters as time goes on. All right, they're coming up with new ones as we speak. But he gives them over to dishonorable passions. The women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men in like manner gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Homosexuality is the next step down. Gay rights. Marry who you want. Free marriage. This is the step down. Do you understand that God has given over the world and our country to this stuff now? We're given over to this? And you've got politicians and even a major political party thinking that this is just fine. It's okay. Do it. Doesn't matter. You want to, two guys want to get married? Give them a license. Let them get married. Two women? Go for it. It's up to you. What's God saying? He, they are given over to this dishonorable passions. That's a step down. Well, there's no, there's no absolutes anymore. There is none. There's nothing to live by. It's, it's whatever you want to do. Is okay. Yeah. And if I want to do this thing, it's okay because you don't want to offend me. No. You know? And as I keep saying, you have so many rights, Alan, they're infringing on mine. Yeah. You know, everybody has, I have this right, I have this right, I mm -hmm. have this right. No matter what, there's no 
absolutes. No absolutes. You become a... Yes, that's an absolute statement. In other words, what's absolute is what I want. I become the arbiter of that which is right and wrong. Okay? And it says they are consumed with passion for one another. I don't have the research, but you can go out and look at this on, on the Internet. You can find this. There was a, uh, he was a pathologist for the New York City, I think it is. It was back, in the, back a few years. And he says that when he gets a murder victim in, he can almost immediately tell whether it was they were a victim of um, homosexual rage, he called it. The mutilation is beyond imagination. He can look at a body and say that person was killed by... He said there's just... And this is a guy that's not a Christian. He's not a believer. But he said, I would strongly encourage no one to go down that path because I've seen the bodies come into my morgue and they are, this is just bad news. There's something about that that goes beyond normal. We have a society that's given over to this. And we're told that if we don't agree with that, we are bigoted and narrow-minded and all other kinds of things. Homophobic, that's a good one. That's another one. That came into vogue back a few years when I worked at the college. You know, they, that, that term came on the campus, and you're homophobic, which means you're afraid of gay people. That's what it means. It's like, I'm not afraid of gay people. I'm just, I, I think it's a sin. I'm not afraid of them. But see, if you can label people and marginalize them, then that gives credence to your behavior. Ah, oh, you're just a fundy religious nut job. And of course you've got the Westboro Baptist Church that doesn't help the cause any with God Hates Fags website. That's no help. Oh, I am too. I hate those things. So, I explained that if you are truly phobic, you have a racing heart. You have a, 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 a faster yeah. respiration. You have clammy hands. You, you know, and I give them an example of hypes for me and spiders for me. If, however, you hear, and I don't, I never say what I shouldn't say, shouldn't in yeah. academic. So I say to them, if you hear the word, the, the suffix phobic hitched to something, but it doesn't race your heart, make you breathe faster, clammy palms, scared, sensation, then that's a misappropriation of the suffix. Yeah. And Whenever I get, and I get it a lot, the chance to explain whatever the concept mm -hmm. is, I throw it in, and they always are, oh. Yeah. Oh. Because you're, So you yeah. can, Christians in the arena, yeah. in the academic world, can make a huge, and are making a huge Yeah. Yeah. 
By the way, somebody, one, somebody asked me a while back, on a scale of 1 to 10, how scared are you of spiders? And I said 100. <laughs> right. Woo, they give me the willies. I'll yeah. tell you what, you know. I'm not, I'm not, a, spi I'm not an arachnophile or whatever they call them, you know, lover of spiders, you know, forget that, man. Why God created spiders beyond me? I'm going to ask him maybe when I get to heaven. Why'd you create those ugly things, you know? Um, but here's the point. You start going down lower. So a society starts out with free love, free sex, but it doesn't stop there. It goes to the next level, which is now homosexual passions, which are against nature. And people say, well, you know, we have a right to live as we want. We have a right to do it. Now, wait a minute. In the beginning, have you not read, he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. Didn't you read that? Now, who's saying that? Christ. What did Christ do in the beginning? He's the creator. Do you think he knows what he's talking about? I think he does. He made them male and female. And for this man... For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his what? Wife, not lover. And they will be one flesh. And what is the, one of the major um, reasons for marriage? Procreation. Kind of rough for two women or two men to do that, isn't it? Kind of rough. Hard to do that. Yeah. And, uh, no. Nope. That's, and, but see, here's the thing. If you don't have God who created everything, then it's okay. <clears throat> now, here's something you can give your college classmates or college students a question. You can ask them, how many of them believe in evolution? What do you think is going to happen? How many? You have a class, 30 students. How many of you believe in evolution? How many hands are going to go up? If I were to ask that question, my experience, which I've never asked it, and I probably won't, but if, through my experience, I do not actually expect, what I expect is a better way to approach that answer. What I expect is, first of all, nobody necessarily wants to raise his or her hand. Second of all, the hands that will go up won't exceed maximum 75%. All right. There are those who don't believe I understand. and appreciate the fact that they sense yeah. through the white space that I don't either. Yeah, I understand. There's You've always got that yeah. outlier. Yeah. But generally, generally, well, generally, the vast majority... Of people today believe in evolution. Even if you're a Christian, you believe in theistic evolution or some screwball thing like that, all right? So, you all believe in evolution. What is the rule of evolution? How, how does evolution operate? What is the engine of evolution? Change. Change, but how is that change brought about? By accident. Survival of the fittest. fittest. Yeah. All right? Natural selection, survival of the fittest. Right? And if you have a genetic trait that weakens the chain, what happens to that genetic trait over time? You get rid of it, right? 
How many gay people procreate? So why do we see gay people today? That gene should have been wiped out of our genome a long time ago. There shouldn't be any gay people, if you believe that. The bottom line is a moral choice. Now, having said that, are certain people born with certain predispositions to sins? Yeah, we are. You know, all of us are different. We're all different. We all have different predispositions. Having said that, what makes people sinful? Their choices. You choose. God has given these people over. He gives them over to their passions. And when those run amok after a while, you got to have more and more. That, the problem with passion is you got to have more and more and more of it. It's like, like drugs. You, got, you know, your first hit's pretty good, but then you got to keep getting a bigger and bigger and bigger hit to get the same buzz. So while, then the next step down is <clears throat> you're given over to this LGBTQ agenda today. Giving up men, and it says here receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. God has built into the moral fabric of the universe penalties for this kind of behavior. What do you have? Diseases. Now, if not diseases, your passions run amok and you have wild rage and things like that. There's built-in consequence. That's part of the working out of the wrath of God, right? God's wrath is continually being revealed. But it doesn't stop there. We're now heading down below the bottom of the barrel in our society. We'll remember back in the 80s when AIDS first began, people were attributing it to green monkeys in Africa. They always come up with some reason that moves away from yep. the moral. Yep. Yeah. And then verse 20, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, this is the next step down, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. A debased mind, a mind that's no mind at all. This is moral, this is not brain, it's not intelligence, it's morality. We've got a debased mind nowadays. And they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And we see that today in so many ways. But one of the specific ways we see this, if I can get to the pages here, is I did a little research a while back. Um, and those in the verse-by-verse -verse class remember three or four years ago. It's been that long. Um, I did a thing on the truth about, and one was the truth about sexuality. In the beginning, God created them what? Male and female. And God blessed them. And said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God created sexuality, created that. But we've come along and we've redefined everything. And so what we have nowadays is we have people that have all kinds of different views on this. Let me read some stuff here for you. 
trying to find it here. Gender identity. This is from a website based in California, the land of the fruit and the nuts. Gender identity. Gender identity is how a person feels and who they know themselves to be when it comes to their gender. That's gender identity. There are more than two genders. Even though in our society, the genders that are most recognized are male and female, called the gender binary. And usually it's based on someone's anatomy, the gen genitals they were born with. This is gender assignment, and it's based on an assumption that someone's genitals match their gender. Yeah. However, gender isn't about someone's anatomy. It's about who they know themselves to be. There are many different gender identities, including male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, odd gender, pangender, gender queer, two-spirit, third gender, and all, none, or a combination of these. Wow. Go sort that one out. There are many more gender identities than we've listed. Gender can be complex, and people are defining themselves in new and different ways as we gain a deeper understanding of identities. Some terms may mean different things to different people. There are certain terms some people may not like to use or call themselves, and some terms they may like to use or call themselves. If you're not sure what to call a person, it's best to ask the person what they would like to be called. It's always up to us to decide how we identify and how we express our gender. However, you decide or identify deserves to be respected and supported. Ah, so I got it. So now, and I saw this, you know, somebody, some of you got a job up at the Nord Center and they have a little badge on it. And they have a her, she, it's, or something like that. I don't know what it is. She, her, hers. So in other words, I got to look at your name tag to determine if you're a man or a woman and how you want to be identified. So if you come in on the skirt, with makeup on and you have a he on there, I'm supposed to call you a he. And if I don't, I'm being gender insensitive. And gender insensitive. And I can be fined for saying stuff like that. That's that's what some of the wackadoodle politicians want to do in New York and California. Those are examples of what in the word here. Verse 30. Inventors of evil. They invent it. Ah. I said to them, what we gotta come up with new ways of evil. You thought, you know, it used to be, you know, you thought homosexuality was the bottom of the barrel. Homosexuality is not the bottom of the barrel. They're still digging. They're still digging. They, they got their shovels out, and they've hit the bottom of the hole, and they're still digging downwards. That's gender identity. Gender queer, here's one. Someone may identify as gender queer if their gender identity is neither male nor female, is in between beyond genders or beyond genders or some combination of genders. This identity is often related to in reaction to the social construction of gender, gender stereotypes, and the gender binary system. In other words, gender binary is a bad thing. It's bad. Gender neutral, someone who feels they're neither male nor female. Cisgender, this is the, these are the bad ones. Cisgender are the people that actually identify with the gender of their anatomy. They're the weirdo oddballs. They're the ones that are, like, bizarre to them. It gets worse. Two-spirit. A modern English term that an indigenous person might identify this comes from the traditional knowledge of indigenous people in Canada, Turtle Island, North America. It can mean a person who walks between genders, one who carries the gifts 
of both males and females, or one who is gender unique, not specific to any gender, and or as a way to identify as 2STLGBQ+, whatever that is. I think it's two-spirit, I don't know, I don't know what all the letters mean. When Europeans arrived in North America, they, in, listen, listen to this, this is, this is what they believe. When Europeans arrived, they introduced homophobia and transphobia to many indigenous nations and dishonored the idea of what it means to be two-spirit. Oh, the bad Europeans that came with a Christian worldview and destroyed the purity of these indigenous people who believed they had two genders in them. Today, many indigenous people are reclaiming the ancient understanding that there are more than two genders. Now it's bad European people, Christians. They're bad. Gender fluid is a good one may refer to a gender which varies over time. Someone who identifies as a gender fluid may fluctuate between genders or express multiple genders at the same time. Their gender may also vary at random or vary in response to different circumstances. I feel like I'm a woman today. Oh, I feel like I'm a man today. Oh, I feel like I'm a woman tomorrow. I mean, that's wackery, but that's what it is, gender fluid. You can pick one. You can pick whatever you want depending on whatever circumstance you're in, I guess. Non-binary is someone who does not identify as a man or a woman. How many genders are there? Ones who claim to be non-binary and I'll say she because it's like a female thing. Anyhow, she spoke up because I was, whatever the concept that I was teaching had to do with males versus females in this regard. So she said, but what about people who identify as non-binary? And so I said to her, no matter how an individual might identify, the bottom line is your DNA identifies you as either XX or XY. Right. Yep, there's no Z, A, B, C so, in there. You know, And she was left without a retort. Yeah. Like, you got two X's or an XY. That's, that's it. Right. That's it. All right. Yeah. We just, we just uh, got a new doctor since we're mm -hmm. in the state. And it's the first time I've ever seen on a form that we filled out. And they said, what, what um, male or female, when you were born, yeah. 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 That's that's the yeah. Yeah. So here's their here's their answer to this question: How many genders are there? This is their answer. Listen to this stuff. Short answer is a whole bunch. Until recently, our society has only acknowledged two genders, male and female. But this has never been true. On what basis do they say that? Many cultures and societies around the world have always known and embraced the knowledge that there are more than two genders. In some cultures, there are three or four genders. Some have traditionally seven or eight, while others never bothered with setting on a specific number. An example of gender knowledge on this land is the indigenous two-spirit community. That's the what I talked about. The indigenous people were pure until we came along and corrupted them with this binary thinking. 
It's important to recognize the role that colonization, ah, that's it, that's the problem, colonization, has played in interrupting the knowledge. It tried to stop the knowledge that there are more than two genders. It's only through the hard work of trans people and their allies that we are finally beginning to see a shift back to embracing and supporting the gender diverse community. Noble cause, we gotta be gender diverse. In modern English language, someone whose gender identity is different from the one they were assigned at birth may identify as transgender. They also might use a different term, which we'll get to in a moment. Often trans or transgender is used an umbrella term for the diversity of genders. However, some people may not use the word trans at all or may use it in partnership with a different word. What do we mean assigned at birth? This, that's, think about one of the first things that Dr. Midwife says when someone's born. It's a girl, it's a boy. This is gender assignment which is bad in their view, as based on an assumption that someone's genitals match their gender. And we know this isn't always the case and each of us gets to decide what gender we know ourselves to be. So you get to decide your gender, not your anatomy. It may not align with the genitals we were born with or be part of the gender binary, male, female. For example, someone may be born with a vagina but know themselves to be male. We know right now, as society begins to respect and honor trans voices, we may be hearing and learning new terms. It might feel overwhelming and confusing. You may wonder why folks need so many labels anyways. This thing with language is always changing and growing. Older generations use words that may mean something different than how you use these words. We bet at some point you've said something to a parent or grandparent, they've totally not understood what you were saying. That's an example of words changing over time. We're seeing a growth spurt in the area of gender language because it's starting to be safer for people to come forward and share who they truly are with the world. Blah, blah, blah. Here's what it is. This is the bottom of the barrel. You've, cut, you've, you've dug through the bottom of the barrel now. Now you're digging down deeper. And you still keep digging. What is it? When you deny God, you, first step, given over to passion. Second step, you got the whole homosexuality passion layer. And now you got below that, what is it? What do you want to be today? You want to be a man? You want to be a woman? You're a 40-year-old man with a beard and you decide, I'm a woman today, so I'm going to go into the little girl's bathroom. Yeah. Really? But I have a right to be identified as whatever. And you have an obligation to acknowledge what I want to be identified as, even if you don't know what I'm identified as. I've known somebody that was talking to someone and said, thank you, sir, and that person got so mad and angry and just railed on him because obviously I'm not a sir, I'm a woman. And you look at him, no, you're a sir, you got a beard, you know, you look like a, unless you're a woman with a beard, you know, you're, you're a man. But they were, they were incensed that someone was so insensitive to not call them the right pronoun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess gay, right? So, uh, how, I mean, because we are, when it's all said and done, supposed to exemplify Christ, which is to exemplify. How did he, how do you think he would have done it? That's the question. What would he have gone? I can sit here, see here's, there's two layers of this. Number one, there's this layer here where we're talking in generalities. Mm -hmm. But what do you do if you have a friend of yours that's gay? Well, I don't beat him over the head with the Bible. Right. All right. 
if they, if, they, if they know me, they know what I believe about their behavior. I don't beat them over the head with it. We're not supposed to do that. But I would go because I love you, daughter. Yeah, I would do too. I would too. And if I was a, yeah, I told you, if I was a Christian baker and somebody came in and wanted me to bake them a cake, I'd bake them a cake. I'm not going to give them a questionnaire on morality to see if I'm going to make a cake for them or not. All right, I wouldn't do that. Now, if you're asking me if I'm a minister and I'm going to marry two gay people, that's different. I'm not going to go there, but we don't hate people. Does God, does God hate any of these people? No. Can they be redeemed? What did he say in 1 Corinthians? Such were some of you. And he listed a whole lot of bad people there. Thieves and murderers and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. He was worse. In that society, he was worse than any of these things. He was a tax collector. So yeah, God's, God's grace extends to all people. And we're to be extensions of his graciousness to all people on an individual level. Having said that, we need to understand that this is sin before God. Which would keep me from saying to the couple, even if it would be a child married to another same-sex person, I would not say congratulations. No. I, 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 yes, I will accept the invitation. I will attend do you realize that Christ hung around with a lot of people that were worse sinners than he was? He went to the tax collector's house. And, it, and what did the Pharisee, what are you hanging around with them for? They're the ones that need it. But what we need to do is we need to resist this. It's okay. No, it's not okay. No, it's not okay. And right now, Christians are being pressured. And you see whole denominations, we're out of time, but you see whole denominations go into this gender acceptance with the rainbow in front. Come here, we accept you the way you are. Wait a minute. God accepts me the way I am, but he doesn't leave me there. Okay? And if you can't acknowledge your sin, you can't be saved. No, we're not to hate people. And we'll talk more about this next week when we get into the list here that Paul gives. And we will finish up chapter 1 next week. Oh, that's not wood. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. We'll finish it up. Write that down. We'll see if it happens. All right. Father, thank you for this time. And um, thank you for the time in your word. And Father, we, uh, we admit we're living in a darkening, darkening world. But we need to be light in that world. Not to hate people, that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to be an irritant to them because of our behavior, but we are going to be an irritant if we accept your morality, because people reject that. So help us to walk that line between standing for the truth but not being caustic and obnoxious about it. May we exhibit your character to the people around us that they may see Christ in us. Father, again, we thank you for this time of study and for your word and for the service to come in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.